you're going to love this. So um, I want you, because this is going to be a great message, I want you guys to pray with me. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to go right into it. Amen? Amen. Father, you are a gracious God who has given us everything that we have and need, and Lord, you are just better to us than we've been to ourselves. Father, I'm grateful for the work that you're doing inside the hearts of each and every person here. Lord, I pray that you would bless. Right now, touch the minds with the power of your word and transform hearts even now as we pray. Father, whether they're, uh, those who are listening are here live or in their car or on their computer or jogging or in their workplace, Lord, wherever they're listening to this, I pray, oh God, that you would draw them to yourself, open their hearts, give them a greater capacity to love. And Father, I ask that you would just minister to each and every one of us, that your word might call us to draw nearer to you. So Father, I pray that you would give me clarity of speech. I pray that you would, uh, your word would come with great power, Holy Spirit, touch every heart, every mind, every life. Those who are brokenhearted, comfort them. Those who are arrogant, break them. Draw to yourself so that you might be glorified. Do this work, we pray, for we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, um, when, I was a, when I was a kid... My mother, and she's still convinced of this, she was convinced that growing up for me to be healthy and strong. Now, my mother's about four foot eleven, not a big lady. My father is about five foot seven, not a big guy. But my mother wanted me to be what, you know, you always want your kids to be what, healthy, big and strong, you know. Hey, eat your veggies, you grow up big and strong. Well, she was convinced that you needed two ingredients to grow up big and strong for, for her children, right? One was uh, milk. She said, you got to have milk, right? So I had like almost a gallon a day of milk. You know, it was just ridiculous. I was like, we had a cow in the back. I mean, it was just nuts. And so there was milk. And then the other one, which is not as obvious as milk, but it was very obvious to her, was rice and beans. You got to have milk and you got to have rice and beans. Some of y'all grew up this way. But it's just a staple. And in fact, I can, I can hardly remember any week in my life where I didn't have rice and beans at least three or four times that week, right? And so it just, it, it, that was something that she thought was very, very important. You needed milk, you needed rice and beans. That'll help you grow up big and strong, right? Okay. Well, my mother stumbled upon something that all of us know intuitively, but that we don't think about. That if you're going to grow up, if you're going to grow big and strong, you've got to be intentional about it. You've got to have a plan. Now, you agree with my mother's plan? Don't agree with my mother's plan? I'm about six foot tall. She's only four foot eleven. My father's five foot seven. She probably did some things right, right? My sister is like five foot nine. Like, you know, some of y'all saw my sister last week. It's just, you know, she's a tall girl. Uh, you know, this, my brother was the exception, bendito. Um, so, um, uh, so this happens. I'm just, every time I say things like that, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to go on the internet now, and he might hear that, so i got to watch what I say. Um, so, but this is the plan that she had. This is what she went forward with, and she got the results that she got. Now watch this. If you're going to grow in Christ, some of you have been coming to church for a couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years, and you're wondering, why am I still stuck in the same rut? Why is my marriage seem worse than it actually than, than it was before. Why is that why is it that I give in to temptation easier than I used to? Why is it that I don't have the victory that I'm looking forward to? And I would submit that you don't have a plan to grow up. You're still an infant. Now I have about four I have about I have four kids. I hope I will have four kids. Uh, I have four kids. It's the microphone. I have four children, right? Now uh, I, I'm proud of them all. I mean, I think they're spectacular, right? But my, my oldest is my son, and he's going to be 17 in a couple of, gosh, only a couple of weeks. And so when he was 10 years old, he was into, um, what was that called, Power Rangers? And he was into uh, Pokemon. He was into, you know, those kind of uh, uh, things, right? Now, at 10 years old, if you'd have met him, 
you would have said, that's so cute. Look at all these Pokemon cards, like thousands of Pokemon cards. Oh, that's so cute. You're into the Power Rangers, you know. Oh, that's so adorable. Oh, is that what you're going to be this Christmas? Or this, uh, rather, this Halloween? He was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to be. Now, if you give him 10 more years, right, at 10 years old, right, so now he's 20, and you meet him again, and you go, so what are you into? Well, I'm into Pokemon. And you know what? I'm, in, I'm into the Power Rangers. What was cute and really sweet at 10 years old is cause for concern at 20. You're going to be a Power Ranger on your 20, on Halloween for tw- uh, when you're 20 years old? Is that, is that what's going to happen? See? What's cute at one age is concerning at another. Listen to me. There's no difference between that and your walk in Christ. You, you come to Christ and you're struggling with cigarettes. And, you know, I'm not going to do this big rail against cigarettes. I know like half of y'all smoke outside and it's cool. But uh, here's what I'm saying. It's not cool. You're going to kill yourself. But we'll talk about that some other time. My point is this. You've been in Christ for like a week and a half, right? And God is growing you. And, you know, he's going to convict you. He's going to draw you to himself. And there's going to be some bad habits that you shed. It's true. It's just true, right? So, but, so uh, the first week, smoking outside, okay, I understand. Ten years later, it's cause for concern. You know what? You just got out of this illicit relationship. You came to Jesus, and he's like, well, you know, oh, you know, I understand. You just got out of the you know, you just came to Jesus. He's working on you. Are you just, change started. Ten years later, you're still in that illicit relationship? Cause for concern. We all grow somewhere. You will grow somewhere. You'll either grow more immature, more foolish, more, more self-destructive, or you'll grow in Christ. You'll grow uh, in love with God. You'll grow. Now, it doesn't mean that all the problems of the world go away. What it does mean, though, is that there's some progress. And if we grow somewhere, wouldn't it be neat to grow like Jesus? Now, a couple of things before I go into this sermon, because I think it's really, really important. Now, in this series, we're going to be talking about... Now, I want you to picture three things. We were going to have posted, but we're not going to do it this time. I want you to picture three things. One is sanctification, right? This is the, this is the stand of sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Sanct... Uh, I messed up already. This is the stand of salvation. That's what I wanted to say. Salvation. Everybody say salvation. salvation. Everybody say not sanctification. Salvation. Say salvation one more time. Salvation. Great. Now, we all know that this is salvation, right? Salvation is when Jesus saves you. Don't do anything to earn it. In fact, you're pr- quite wretched. I was talking with someone yesterday, and I was talking to him. I was like, and I told him my story, and I said, so what's your story? He goes, oh, I used to go to church all the time. Went five, six days a week. He goes, well, I said, well, why aren't you uh, pursuing Jesus now? God is angry at me. That's what he told me. And I said, it's worse than that. He's got wrath for you, and he's, he's going to throw you in hell. It's worse than you think. It's terrible. You've turned your back on a holy God. You're right, but it's worse. You need to be saved. From what? The wrath of God. You need to be saved. And some of y'all right now are just saying to yourself, well, that's not true. God doesn't judge. No, you missed the last series. You missed the last series. We talked about this. Of course God judges. God is a holy, perfect, and pure God. Lest you not confuse this with your grandmother or grandfather who co-signed your stuff. Stick with me. There's salvation. Salvation. And this is the work of Jesus Christ. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't merit it. In fact, if it was up to you, you'd run away from God. You proved it the first 20, 30 years of your life. Some of y'all have been running away for a lot longer than that. I don't know. But you need to be saved. That was what all last week was about. You need to be saved. There is a, a penalty for sin. And it's separation from God forever. It's awful. You need to be saved. That's salvation. Now that's the first process in the believer's life. They get saved. Second one is sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which God grows you. This is still all the work. Some people think, and man, I get annoyed at certain things people say. 
not too much, but just I understand that they're growing. And, you know, salvation, they, people go, oh, yeah, that's all Jesus' work. Sanctification, now I got to get busy. Read the book of Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is just fighting against that uh, theology and that idea. It's not true. Sanctification is also all the work of Jesus. And sanctification is the process by which you grow holy, by which you mature, by which you go from cursing to blessing, by which you go from being sinful to walking in holiness. Sanctification is the process by which you would, you know, you, were, you had this fiery rage inside of you, hair trigger, rageaholic, right? And then all of a sudden you have peace in your heart. It's like, well, that's the process of sanctification. People say, well, if God is going to do, you know, if God is going to move the mountain, you better bring a shovel. Here's the deal with that. What that statement makes is it, that statement suggests that you better do something that God can't help you to do. It's completely false. Let me tell you something. If you're bringing a shovel, God is giving you the shovel. If you're bringing the shovel, God is, he's, he's buying the shovel. He's giving you the desire to shovel. He's making sure that your back is strong to shovel. He's making sure, you you understand what I'm saying. This is all the work of God. If you desire to walk in holiness, you desire to read your Bible, you desire to get godly relationships, you desire to walk in Christ. If you desire any of these things, it's a holy work that Jesus does inside of you. We call it sanctification. That's exactly right. So there's salvation. This is the work of Christ sanctification, this is also the work of Christ where he starts to grow us, save us, grow us. And then this is glorification. Glorification. This is when we get to go to heaven. Now, the Bible talks about this in with one word. You know what the word is? Saved. The Bible says that we were saved uh, while Jesus was on the cross dying for our sins. We are being saved, that is, Jesus is working inside of us to grow us to be more like him, and we will be saved, that is, Jesus is coming back again. Listen, I I just need to say this about this. I need you to wake up in the morning, and before you brush your teeth, say, do I need to? Are you going to come before I need to brush my teeth? Because he's coming again. I want you to start living your life in light of eternity. Jesus is coming again. This is, we will be saved. So we were saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. It's the three tenses of salvation. Now, people confuse this. And so we get weird, awkward, not true theology. The theology that says, well, in order for you to be saved, you got to be a really good person. And if you blow it, you're not saved anymore. But don't feel bad. You can be good again, and then you can be saved again. Oh, but watch out, you just failed, so now you lost your salvation. This is not salvation, this is morality, this is Buddhism, this is, this is, this is, uh, most, most people that I know, um, live, their, their religion is morality. Everything falls and rises on how good or bad you are. This is not what the Bible teaches. This is completely the opposite of Bi- what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that your best works are like filthy rags. And all you one-on-one students just got a negative picture in your mind. They, yeah, go to one-on-one, you'll find out. Um, filthy rags. That's what your best works look like. You don't do good. You need Jesus. If you could do good, when Jesus was on uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, and he prayed, Father, if there's any other way that this cup can pass from me, the Father and Jesus would have said, Oh, yeah, just tell him to be good. And that would have been enough for salvation. This is an American gospel. has nothing to do with the Bible. And right now, I'm stepping on a bunch of your toes because you put all your faith in your goodness. And I just want to say, I love you. And if, if you're my friend, and I got like, I, I, one time I was preaching. It was, this was when we were downstairs because the church was small enough to fit downstairs. And I started to preach, and I had a... Um, a video. So I came down for the video, and one of my closest friends, it's Rick Moses. He helped to he helped to to really solidify the structure and the and the stuff of this church. I, we we owe a lot to a lot of you guys who don't know Rick Moses. Owe a lot to Rick Moses. He moved out to New Jersey and he's serving in a church over there. He came up to me and he said, 
uh, Edwin. And you, if you know uh, Rick, you know how cool that he is. He goes, uh, Edwin. And I said, yeah, Rick, what's up? And I'm like, you know, I'm preaching. I'm, I got my preaching face on. And he goes, uh, Edwin, uh, zip up your pants. <laughs> right? Because if you're my friend and I'm off to the side, you need to tell me to zip up my, zip up my pants when I'm speaking in front of a couple of, uh, you know, quite a few people, right? Friends don't let friends preach with an unzippered pant, right? Watch this. In Christ, friends don't let friends believe a false gospel. You understand what I'm saying here? Okay. Salvation just by Jesus alone. You don't deserve it. You don't merit it. This is why. Listen, and some of you believe this so bad that when you blow it, you can't pray. You can't pray. You feel like you you shouldn't pray. And the reason that you shouldn't pray is because your God is your morality. And you failed. And since since God loves you according to your morality, you can't pray because you blew it. I... Let me recommend a more excellent way. Trust in the love of Jesus. And if you trust in the love of Jesus, there's some scoundrels here, maybe you, who would say, well, since Jesus loves me and he saves me, and he, uh, my salvation can't be lost because it's his work and it's for me, then I can do whatever I want. Then I can sin whichever way I want. If that's your first and deepest thought, let me submit that you're not saved. You don't do that to people you love. If Let me tell you something. My wife could cheat on me, and I pray that she doesn't test this idea out. But she could cheat on me. I'm not leaving my wife. I just don't. I mean, she could leave me, and she could walk away, and she could do all sorts of terrible things. I'm not leaving my wife. I'm not divorcing my wife. I'm not doing any of those things. Now watch this. I love my wife. My wife becomes a Buddhist. I love my wife. My wife becomes, my wife gets involved with Al-Qaeda. I love my wife. What do you think of the woman who takes that information to become a Buddhist, get involved with Al-Qaeda, and sleep with a bunch of men? What do you think of that woman? You think she loves me back? Nah. Listen, it's a great indicator. If you use grace as license uh, to sin, it's a great indicator that you're not saved. Does that make sense? Okay. We're going to get into the text in a second. But I need to explain this to you because when we get to the text, it's going to sound like I'm going to say, oh, in order to be saved, you have to do these things. And this whole series is going to sound like that. This entire series is on sanctification. This series is a sanctification series. Now, we started with salvation because you can't grow in sanctification unless you're saved. And right now, right now, you can open your heart to Jesus. Did you know that? You don't have to wait till the end of the sermon. Right now, this second, God may be tugging on your heart. You might have heard for the first time that you are going and bound for hell without Jesus. It's not your good works. It's not if you stay clean. It's not if you just, no, no, no. And right now, the Lord is tugging. You go, oh, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I encourage you to do it. This entire series is about sanctification, about how God grows us up. With that, I want to look at the first way that God grows us up. Now, this entire series, I'm going to give you the whole series in a nutshell, and then you can kind of skip out on the rest of this week. No, don't do that. Um, but the first one that we're going to talk about is practical teaching. That God is going to change you by doing the sermons you hear. That's how God is going to change you. The second one is holy habits. This is your time in devotional, prayer, writing, speaking to the Lord. The third one is circumstances. Now, this is, this is something that no, doesn't necessarily, that you don't necessarily do, but it happens to you. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you know, a kid dies. What is it about people that they're one one family loses, this is the greatest tragedy, they grow closer to Jesus. Another family, they lose a child, they grow farther away from Jesus. Well, it's, it's, it's the heart. God is working on the heart. And so God will use pivotal circumstances, even suffering circumstances. Another one that God will use is godly relationships. That's how he'll grow you up. Godly relationships. And the, one, the last thing, that not the last thing, there's millions of things that God will use to grow you. But the last thing we're going to talk about when God grows you is ministry. Serving others. 
It's the number one way I know how to beat depression. I know a lot of you are going through depression. If you go through, this is what I suggest you do. If you're in a depression, what I suggest you do is you put five bucks in your pocket, you lock the door in your house, you go outside and you find somebody who needs a meal. You feed them and then you listen to their story. You get, there's a, such a gratitude and such a blessing. Why? Because when you serve others, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. So, what we're going to look at is the book of James. You heard it read. And I'm just going to look at a small portion, verses 19 through 25. And we're going to dive right into it because this is really, really powerful text. I recommend that you all go back home and read the book of James. Or at least read this first chapter over and over throughout the week. It'll be a huge blessing. If you're a gossip, it'll chasten you. If you're a, uh, if you got malice in your heart, it'll chase you. It's just a really great book. Okay. So let's look at uh, verse 19. My dear, oh, by the way, if you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up on the screen. Also, there's a sermon map inside your bulletin. If you open it up, it's inside your bulletin. You can follow along there. Okay. My dear brothers, all right, let me just say this. Gosh, I forgot to say this. Um, this is James, the brother of Jesus, writing this. <laughs> this is wild. You're going to love this. James is one of my heroes in the faith, and he's also the most unbelievable person, the last person anybody would ever guess to believe. Think about this. James did not believe, James, the brother of Jesus. Now, there's four Jameses in the Bible. Um, there's uh, James, the son of Zebedee. There's, uh, okay, so there's four Jameses in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament. This is the James brother of Jesus, James, okay? So don't confuse it because if you hear one talking and then you hear the other, you could confuse it for the same guy. It's not. It's four different guys. Now, James writes this, but the thing that I find most curious about James is that he believes it all. Did you know that while Jesus was alive and doing ministry, he did not believe? Would you? Like, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is God? What would that take? No, think about that for a second. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is God? Okay. Yeah. Your brother might be Satan, but for sure. (laughs) It's a lot easier to believe he's Satan, but it's for sure. It's a tough one to believe that your brother is God. You know what it would take for you to believe that your brother's God? He'd have to die and rise from the grave. And that's exactly what happened with James. That's why James is in the middle of the New Testament with his family saying, get out, come on, you're going crazy. You're going crazy, literally rebuking Jesus. You're going crazy, come on, let's get out of here. And now there's a letter talking about how he's a bond servant to Jesus, a slave to Jesus. Well, what happened? The resurrection. We talked about that last week. So James is, this is who's talking. I mean, so if you think you have problems believing, if you have difficulties, if you believe in this or that, if you have different philosophies, or, and you're not sure you believe in James, James feels you. But he saw the risen Lord, and it changed everything. So this James is speaking, and he says in verse 19, My dear brothers, he's speaking to people who are already Christians. This is not a letter of how to become a Christian. This is a letter of after you've given your heart to Christ, after Easter Sunday, after last week's message, now what do you do? James speaks into that. My dear brothers, take note of this. In other words, pay attention. I'm going to say something really important. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Very, you know, very self-explanatory. Verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, actually, let's just say something about this. You know how some of y'all, and I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me. Sometimes when I get really, really upset, I think the only way I'm going to change the person who I'm upset with is to get really nasty with my mouth. Is anybody else like that? I wonder if I'm the only one. I'm probably the only one. Anybody else like that? Okay, a few of you. All right. So let me talk to y'all who are like this, all right? Because y'all are not like this, all right? All right. So so here's what happens. When I start doing that, there's a thought that goes so fast in my mind now because it's so knee-jerk for me 
you know, it's so knee-jerk reaction, I don't really think about it. But here's the thought. He goes, you know what? I know how I'll get them to shut up. I know how I'll change their mind. I know how I'll get my wife to do this thing. And then I just, and I say this awful, evil thing. Well, listen, the Bible says this. Man's wrath doesn't produce godly results. That your sin doesn't produce godly results. I know how I'll get this guy to love Jesus. I'll sleep with him. Uh, Okay. Perhaps this is not the best way of doing evangelism. Okay, listen to me. Your sin does not produce godliness. Walking in holiness produces godliness. Just a quick point. We're not saying there, just where we're moving through. Um, Verse 21. Therefore, since my sin doesn't produce godliness, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. There's a ton of things we can say about this. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Now, James is saying there are certain things that we need to avoid, certain things we need to run from, certain things we need to move away from. There's moral filth. Don't you love that? And evil that is so prevalent. Moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. You know what that is? That's for those of you guys who you'll hear a list of things not to do, and you'll go, well, he didn't say that. He said, uh, I didn't hear that. That's why when the, when the Greek word, in the, um, uh, when it talks about having sex outside of marriage, or the, 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 the Greek word uses porneia. It's where we get our word pornography from. Porneia is like the junk drawer of sexual sin. Because God knew that if he made a list of 5,000 things, some cat would come up, well, show me where that, you know, show me where that's not in the Bible, you know. And, and somebody would come up with some nasty thing that they would go, well, that's not in the Bible. So God used the junk drawer, said, okay, all this falls into it. James is speaking to us through God's word, and he's saying, okay, listen, all of this moral filth, I don't have to convince you what moral filth is. It's the stuff that comes up when I say moral filth. And then, you, and then you start to fight against me with it. You start to say, but, ah, oh, but, you know, I'm young, and, and, ah, oh, but I'm just trying to hang out, and, ah, oh, but, you know, I have needs, and, you know, I, I need people to meet that need, and, ah, oh, but, you know, my job hasn't given me a raise, and, of course, I got to write these receipts this way, and, ah, oh, but, you know, the government, they're just using our money for abortion. You want me to use my money for abortion, Pastor, so I could cheat on my taxes, it's all right, and, ah, oh, but, you know, And it's just so, it goes on and on and on and on. He says, listen, moral filth, just get rid of it. Now, in the next few verses, he's going to explain to us how to get rid of it. Nope. And let me say the verse and then we'll go right into it, okay? Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word. Matter of fact, let's read verse 22 together. Let's start reading 22 together. One, two, three. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Nobody has ever stopped a bad habit. Nobody has ever stopped a negative behavior. Nobody has ever stopped and gotten free from a sinful act by going, I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. It doesn't happen. When the thing that you focus on is the thing that you generally tend to gravitate towards. If you don't believe me, ride a bike and look to the left. You will go left. Ride a bike, look to the right. Just say, I'm going to go straight ahead. And then just look to the right and go straight ahead. You will hit somebody. You will go to the right. Why? Because you tend, your body tends to go where your eyes are. So here's the thing. The Bible is saying, I want you to stay away from this. And if you stopped at that verse, you wouldn't have a way to stay away from the sinful thing. You would just go, you know what? I'm just not going to smoke. I'm just not going to smoke. I'm just, I'm not going to yell at my husband. I'm not going to yell at my husband. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to lie to my wife. I'm not going to lie to my wife. I'm not going to lie to my wife. I'm not going to have sex with, outside of marriage. I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage. I'm going to stay pure. You know, just, if you focus on, I'm, you know, I'm going to turn away from these idols and false images and, and, and demonic, uh, influences. I'm going to stay away. I'm going to stay away. I'm going to stay away. Well, what happens is what you focus on is the thing that you generally tend to gravitate towards. That's why some of you are having such a hard time with the purity deal. 
Because you're focused on it so much. And it's like, oh, I got to stop this. Like, I can't, I can't do this. I got to stop this. Like, I can't do this. I can't, I got to stop this. And you just keep on growing closer all the way. Haven't you ever, and I wonder if there's one person here, haven't you ever not wanted to do something that you know would hurt you and in your mind say, oh my God, I'm going to go hurt myself. And all the while, your feet are heading in that direction. Surely there's one of you who've gone through that. Why, 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 why? Because the thing that's in your mind, the thing that you're focusing on, is the thing that you generally tend to gravitate towards. So James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, I got a better idea. Rather than saying, I'm not going to do this, rather than saying that, why don't you not just listen to the word of God and by this deceive yourself, I got an idea. Why don't you do what it says? Here's what I'm saying. When you come to church, there is a word that's proclaimed, whether it's Pastor Gus, Pastor Raymond, my my spiritual father, Mark Marshak, or me, whoever's up here, there's a thing that we point towards that we say, this is better. This is more beautiful. The whole week, the 30, the 40 hours that we spend preparing these talks, it's, listen, this is what I want to point you towards. I want to point you, I don't want you to, I don't want you to not do this. I want you to get to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that when we put our eyes on doing God's word, we're not focused on not doing what our flesh says. Does that make sense? When you're married, listen to me. If you're married and your spouse is giving you a hard time or being insensitive or being mean-spirited or being whatever it is, right? If you say to yourself, I'm not going to lash out, I'm not going to lash out, I'm not going to lash out, you're going to lash out. But if you come into that conversation and going, oh God, convict my heart. I know that there's sin. And let me tell you something. If you're in marriage, man, this just, you know, we're doing, we're going through this book in our, in, um, on Wednesdays, our small group marriage book. And the title of the book is called, um, When Sinners Say I Do. And we just went through chapter two. Chapter two is waking up with the worst sinner. Isn't that a great title for a chapter? Waking up with the worst sinner. Here's a clue about chapter two. It's not the other person. <laughs> Waking up with you. See, see, we have a propensity. We have a propensity that if we focus on not doing the negative, we do the very thing that we hate to do. That's why some of you guys are just struggling so hard. I understand. I struggle too. I'm not coming to you as a person who's figured this all out. I'm just saying, this will help you grow. So what do you do? When the word is proclaimed, what do you do? Well, you embrace and do the word. You do what was proclaimed to you. Last week, you would have given your heart to Jesus. Or if you already had a heart for Jesus and you gave your heart to Jesus, you would be growing in Jesus. We had a series. What do you do uh, when we finish a series of judgment call? Well, when you feel like you're going uh, you're gonna to judge somebody... You're going to look in the mirror. Then you're going to ask God to address your sin. And then you're going to be able to confront the person with their sin, but with a broken heart this time. Right? What, what do you do when we have our series twisted? We had, does anybody remember? That was a long time ago. Wow. Um, right, right? Remember the, the series Twisted? And we talked, about, we talked about demons and demonic influences and how they, what do you do? You see, the last thing I want you to do is sit here, be either entertained or intrigued. I mean, there are worse things you can do, but that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to get this. This is crazy. Do what you hear. And if you're going to grow in Christ, you're going to start having to ask yourself, how can I apply this in my life? So in this church, we made this incredibly simple. We only have, when you preach from up here, you're only allowed one major idea. Today's major idea is that I want you to do the word, just in case you missed it, like just in case you fell asleep a little bit, right? I want you to do the word. That's my major idea. We have one major idea and we have one application. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself after every service, after every time you open God's word, after every time you hear a message from the word of God, that you would ask yourself, not uh, wow, isn't that interesting? Oh, ooh, my tears ran down my face. But the question then becomes, what on earth do I 
do with this information? What do I do with the information that's just been presented before me? What do I do when we're speaking on loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Well, don't just say, well, that's a cool concept. That's a wondrous thought. I'd love to get there one day. Surely that can't be your response. Your response must be, how can I apply this in my life? How can I live this through? How can my wife be better off because I heard this message about blessing my, loving my wife like Christ loved the church? What do you do when we preach? I preached a message here. And nobody liked it, but I, you know, I had to preach it. I'll tell you to you again. It was, um, it was a sex is for married people only. Does anybody remember that? Nobody remembers this stuff, right? Is anybody? Yeah, okay. Sex is for married people only. Watch. So watch this. What do you do when you hear a message like that? And you're single. What do you do? Like, like, right? What do you do? Do you, I mean, when you receive a piece of information like that, we said sex is for, sex is not for pretty people. Sex is not for sexy people. Sex is not for people who are old enough or mature enough to handle it. Sex is not for people with kids. Sex is not for people who've been dating for a really long time. Sex is not for people who have feel like God has called them to the person that, you know. Or sex is not for people who uh, really love the person that they're with. Sex is not for people who can afford it. Sex is not for people. Sex is for married people only. What do you do with that? And a hush goes among the crowd. What do you do with that? I know, I know, listen. I know, I get uncomfortable at these things too. You think it's tough listening to this stuff. You should try preparing for it. Because you know the response you're going to get. And Here's my thing. Listen, I love you. If you have sex with 100 people, I, I still, my kids love me. My wife said, you know, that doesn't, it, but I'm your pastor. And one day I'm going to stand before Jesus He's going to say, what did you do, Edwin? What did you do with the word? Did you just tickle their ears? Did you just tell them what, they, what, you, wanted, uh, what you thought they wanted you to hear? Is, is that what that, that whole thing was? I just wanted to know, listen, what do you do? I know what you do. When you hear a message like sex is for married people only, this is what you do. You make a rule by which you're the only exception. That's what you do. You make a rule by which you're the only exception. When I start saying, wives, submit unto your husband. What does submission mean? It means understand and support. Understand your husband. Well, he's making, I think, a decision that's going to hurt this family. Let me try to understand where he's coming from. And then support. Honey, I'm with you. And then just trusting Jesus. God, you got to leave this dude. And, and, you know, and again, my wife does an incredible job of um, submitting to me. She comes up to me and she goes, I think you're wrong. Here's one, two, three, four reasons why. And then I get to take that in. And then I get to make a better decision. Here's my point. What do you do with a message like sex is for married people only? Do you make up an excuse by which you're the, well, you know, I got these emotions inside of me. I can't control them. You know, the Bible is true for everybody else, but you know, I'm like 30 years old, man. Oh, wait, but you know, how do you know, how do you know that you're compatible if you don't sleep with the person? Oh my God, let, let me just give you a clue, right? If you're a guy, she's a girl, you're compatible. It'll work, all right? Can I just, you know, like take the next 50 years to figure it out, okay? All right? Here's my point. Here's my point. What do you do with the message? James is saying, when you hear the word and don't do the word, you're, he's using an incredible word, you're deceiving yourself. Can you imagine? Deceiving yourself. I mean, I've been deceived by other people. Young kid, um, I was a real young kid. I was only like 10 or 11 years old. And I just, they just bought me a brand new mountain bike back, back when mountain bikes were brand new. Like now you see them all over the place. But you remember, and they used to weigh like 30 pounds and, you know, right? Okay. So I got one of those. And uh, I was riding in the park on a, a little like mohill thing and I was just kind of jumping over it and doing all that stuff. And somebody came up to me, an older man, and said, hey, that's a great bike. Yeah, I feel it's a great bike. My dad just got it for me. And he goes, uh, can I get a ride? 11 years old? Sure. Get a ride. 
I'm still waiting for that dude to come back with that bike. I was in McCarran Park last week just going, I know he's going to be back now. (laughs) Surely. Uh, He's not coming back. You know why? I was deceived. And I lost. And something that was precious to me was taken from me. Now that's bad if somebody else does that to you. But when you're the culprit, you're deceiving yourself? Who loses? Like, who are you kidding? You lose. You're deceiving yourself by just listening to the word and not doing it? What do you do with that? Here's what James says. Do the word of God. Don't deceive yourself. I mean, if deception is going to come in your life, don't let it be by you. I mean, can we, can we, I mean, there's enough deception in the world that we might want to avoid that. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, the Bible says several different things about the Bible. The Bible says several different things about the Bible. Like in the Bible describing the Bible says several different things. It's like a sword, right? It's like a, actually the, the Bible says that this, the Bible is like a double-edged sword. Cuts you going in, cuts you coming out. Like, it just gets to you. Anybody understand what I'm saying? Like, have you ever read the Word of God and you say, ooh, I'm going to have to get back to that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, one of those moments, right? The Bible is like a double-edged sword. It says also that the Bible is like a hammer. I mean, it just, it just gets to you. It pounds you. It brings you low, right? The Bible also says that the Bible is like milk, it's like milk. It's something that you take in. Babies can take it in. Anybody can receive it. You know, just, just start reading the Bible. If you've got two days in Christ, if you're going to give your heart today to Jesus, start reading the Bible. Right? It's like milk. Here, the Bible says that the Word of God is like a mirror. Now, what do we do with a mirror? The only reason we look in the mirror is to make adjustments. Isn't that true? You go before a mirror, and you go, oh, okay, sure, make sure that's buttoned, collar's right, hair's okay, okay, great. And then, and then we go out. Nobody goes in front of a mirror, sees that, you know, they have a big stain on their shirt, or, you know, something, you know, uh, like there's a rip on their shirt, or their hair is a mess, or something like that, right? Nobody goes to the mirror, sees that, and then goes, oh, I'm going to leave it just the way that is. Like, nobody does that, right? Even this morning, I, I was uh, talking to a person, and, the, you know, their hair was a little bit, um, out and because I'm really sarcastic, I said, "I love your hair." And so, just a couple of seconds after that, uh, in my office, there's a, a mirror, and so they looked in the mirror, and they automatically started to adjust their hair. Right? Why? Because when you look into a mirror, it's meant for you to look in it for the purpose of adjustment. Isn't that true? Well, when you hear, when you come to church, you're not punching in so that God is not mad at you anymore. You're not coming so that you can just hear and feel better. Especially if you come to this church, don't come to feel better because I won't help you with that. Listen, you come because there's some adjustments that need to be made. And it's not in a shirt. It's not in a hairstyle. It's not in 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 clothing. You know what it's in? It's in character. And it's addressing issues. And right now, even as I'm speaking, some of you have zoned me out. Some of you have decided to shut me off. Because this is hitting too close to home. Because you know what? If you actually start living what I'm telling you to do, you're going to have to leave that girl, aren't you? You're going to have to reevaluate your relationship with that dude, aren't you? I mean, if you actually start to listen to me right now, you, 
You might have to move to your mom's house because you're living with the person who's not your spouse. I mean, if you listen, really listen to what I'm saying, you might have to become more generous with your finances. It's a scary thing to listen to a a message like this. Here's all I'm saying. God wants you to grow. And the alternative, listen to me, the alternative is to stay immature forever. The alternative is to stay with your problems, your deficiencies, your difficulties, your sin, the, the evil things that you do. That's the alternative. And God says, no, 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 I don't want that for you. I just don't want you. You know what? I want you to grow in being a better. I want you to grow in being more like Jesus. And so what am I going to do? God says, I'll give you the word. And as you look at yourself in the mirror of the word, you'll be able to make adjustments. As you come to church and hear the preaching of the word, you'll be able to make adjustments. Now remember, none of these adjustments are going to get you saved. Isn't that true? Right? Being good for goodness sake only works with Santa, right? Okay, yeah, because we're all hell-bound. We're all, you know, that's, that, that's not what I'm talking about here. Here's what I'm talking I'm not even talking about going to heaven. That, that's going to happen. What I'm talking about here is sanctification. And I don't want you to confuse it with glorification or salvation. It's sanctification. Now here. My question to you, and I'll close, is so what are you going to do with the sin that the Lord brought up to your heart? As I was speaking, I'll bet that there was a sin or many sins. Maybe it's an arrogance. Maybe it's a pride. Maybe you've been fighting Jesus tooth and nail. Maybe you've been acting out on behaviors that you you wouldn't proclaim from the front of this room. I don't know. What is it? Here's my question. What are you going to do with that? I know. Here's what you do. Ridicule me. Argue with me. Find a reason to punch a hole in me. And then ignore God's word. That's what you should do. Oh, I got a better idea. Make yourself yourself up a rule that you're the only exception to. Here's a better idea. What you can do is start assassinating the way your parents brought you up if they brought you up in the church. or This is what you should do. What do you do? Here's, Here's my suggestion. My suggestion is that you do the word. And some of you have been coming to enough sermons to know what that means in your life. So listen. Some of you just have to stay away from that first one. I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that just get to you? Doesn't that just like, right? And some, listen to me. Some of you, listen, you're dating. And you need not invite your friend up for coffee. That just need not be your story. You need to just go ahead and just say, you know what? I think, I think we can have coffee in this diner. I don't think we should have coffee because, you know, you have coffee and then you watch a movie and then someone gets tired and then, you know, someone leans in and then all sorts of demonic things start happening and then you feel guilty the next day and who could come to church for that, right? Who wants to just, you know, listen, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so not a very sexy message, but one that's real, real necessary for us. This series, we're going to learn about how to grow up. One of the chief ways that God will grow you is by doing the word or by Walking the talk. Listen to me. I want you to start praying. In fact, we're just going to have a time of prayer right now. Would you bow your heads with me? And as you bow your heads with me, I just want you to start talking to Jesus about, well, it's about your sin. Talk to him. What what part of God's word are you ignoring? What part of God's word that you know is God's word, the thing that you decide, nah, I'm writing that off. What is it? God says, I want to free you from it. 
I want to free you from it. I want to remove that from your life. What, where, what area of sanctification? Right now, some of you are going through so much shame. You don't even want to pray. I understand. Me too. I go through that myself. Bring that to Jesus too. Do the word, what we talked about. You don't go to Jesus because you're good. You go to Jesus because he's good. And he changes you. Father, the fact is, is that we cannot be, and you know this better than we do. We can't be good on our own. Lord, would you help us? And Lord, help me. I listen. I must listen to five or six sermons a week. Lord, don't let it just be academic for me. Save me from the pitfalls that we talked about in this message. From being so accustomed to hearing your word that it just doesn't have the effect that it needs to. Save me from that. Save me. So, Father, I ask that you would touch every heart and every mind. That you would move in every life. Father, that those who are running far from you would recognize that you're better than sin. Father, I pray that those who are here would desire Jesus. Being reminded that Jesus is the only way we can do what we hear. Father, may we not make the mistake of intending in our hearts to do better, try harder, make a stronger effort. But may we decide in our hearts to say, Jesus, I struggle with this. Would you help me to walk away from this? And then help us to be obedient to that which we prayed. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Make us aware of those areas in our lives that we really need to be made aware of. Father, I do pray that you would just awaken us, open our eyes, that we might see you, love you, adore you, that we might esteem your Son, and we might live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, O God, to be the kind of church that you've called us to be. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.